0: Welcome back to Beyond the Uniform. I'm Justin Assiri, and my goal is to help members of the military community thrive in their post-service career and life. Today's episode number 451, From Air Force to U.S. Ambassador with Gary Grappo. And of course, it was after that, then I was uh, named by
1: president to uh, uh, be U.S. Ambassador in Oman. Three years in that position, and then um, I was asked by the secretary to go to, Saudi, uh, to Iraq. So uh, I had a pretty diverse career, although much of it obviously spent in the Middle East. I always felt that if you wanted to do that, roll up your sleeve, hands-on work of diplomacy, there was no more challenging place in the world than the Middle East, and that certainly proved correct.
0: Mm. <laughs> uh,
1: um, it was indeed very, very challenging.
0: Well, There's so much to appreciate about today's interview. First of all, diplomacy. This is the first interview I've done around diplomacy and I started off in the deep end of the pool to say the least. Gary went from the Air Force from Air Force officer to the US ambassador to Amman. He had an incredible career in which he was involved in monumental work around the world. However, what I appreciate most about Gary is the humility and specificity he brings to this interview. It's not just about why veterans may enjoy a career in the Foreign Service, and by the way, Gary makes a pretty solid argument for this, but it's the texture he brings to the conversation of finding his own career path, starting over again in Foreign Service after earning his MBA and working in the corporate world, of being diligent in learning a new craft and working his way up after having done just that in both the military and the corporate world. It was a privilege and honor to be able to learn from Gary, and I hope you enjoy this candid and enlightening conversation. Today's episode originally aired in February of 2020 as episode 341. It's been over two years now, and I wanted to pull this out of the archive and make sure you had all, had all, had all uh, listened to this one. As always, at beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find show notes with links to everything we discuss, as well as 450 other episodes just like this one. So with that, let's dive into my conversation with Gary. Dive, dive. Well, joining me today, also in Denver, Colorado, my guest is Ambassador Gary Grappo. Ambassador, welcome to Beyond the Uniform.
1: Well, thank you very much. It's wonderful to be here.
0: Um, so for listeners, I wanted to give a very abbreviated bio for Gary, and, and I'll have more in the show notes at beyondtheuniform.org. But Gary is a distinguished fellow at the University of Denver and the CEO and founder of Equilibrium International Consulting. He served as the United States ambassador to Oman from 2006 to 2009, and previously was deputy chief of mission and minister counselor of the United States mission in Uh, reality Saudi Arabia. He served in the U.S. Air Force for over eight years and holds a Bachelor of Science in Mathematics from the United States Air Force Academy, a Master's of Science in Geodesy and Survey Engineering from Purdue University, and an MBA from the Stanford University Graduate School of Business. Um, So Gary, maybe to start things off, could you take us back to your transition from the Air Force and what that was like?
1: Uh, Sure, and I'll try and spare you uh, some of the more nitty-gritty details, but um, I had uh, planned to leave uh, the Air Force about a year and a half uh, before my actual departure in 1980. Uh, And so, of course, like anyone else, I started looking around and seeing what was available that would address some of the interests that I had. I thought I had something lined up, and lo and behold, the Air Force informs me that, no, indeed, I owed them another year of service. (laughs) Uh, maybe some of the listeners, uh, can sympathize with that. But, in, and so I was obviously uh, disappointed and frustrated because I was all ready to launch into this new career. But in fact, Justin, um, it gave me time to really think, uh, more, uh, about what I might want to do, look at some other options that were, uh, avail- that might be available to me. And indeed I did that. And that's, uh, when I happened on, um, maybe returning to graduate school and undertaking something outside of the hard uh, sciences and mathematics. Uh, And I went to business school for a couple of years. Um, And in hindsight now, of course, I look back and say, wow, I was really fortunate that I had that extra year. So I suppose I should be thankful to the air force for not letting go uh, so soon. And um, as it was when I left uh, the air force, uh, In a few months, I was off to Palo Alto and the business
0: school. I love that sometimes those speed bumps or unexpected curveballs can be frustrating at the time, but then maybe turn out to be this this blessing in disguise as it was in your case. Absolutely. Um, One of the things, Gary, that I was so excited to talk to you about, and when we had coffee, we we touched on this, was it, it, from my perspective, you 've really taken a, a road less traveled from two perspectives. one is from the military. there's not a lot of people i've seen that that have your career path from the military, even though it makes a lot of sense and and Certainly we, we both share business school at Stanford. I can't think of many people that have taken this career path from business school and i'd love for you to share a little bit more about how you started down this path and how you, um, I guess we would group this into maybe just calling it foreign service, but how you entered into that as as a vocation.
1: Uh, well, my career track confounds a lot of people, understandably, and I tell my students when they come to see me or anyone really interested in uh, the foreign service or just some type of work abroad, um, you probably want to consider not taking the track that I did. Uh, in, indeed, um, in, in the Air Force, I, um, I spent uh, eight years working in the field of geodesy and cartography right at that um, critical time when we were beginning the transition for the more conventional means for precision surveying and mapping uh, geodesy in particular um, to uh, satellite technology. And as a result, and I was very fortunate to be able to do this, I traveled extensively around the world. Uh, I would take small teams with me, uh, usually uh, uh, mid to senior level NCOs who themselves had fairly extensive uh, technical training and backgrounds. And um, we traveled all over the world. Most of the places where we went, uh, there were no military bases or facilities. Uh, we usually check into an embassy and then head off to Usually the boondocks to do the work we had to do, um, and that really sparked uh, an interest in um, in everything about um, uh, uh, the world outside the United States, including international affairs, history, cultures, and so forth. And I began reading um, everything I could get my hands on, from the Economist to all sorts of books. And, um, and I really kept this, uh, interest, um, after I left the air force at business school, after I left business school, I went to work in the private sector in, uh, in finance. I did work for a couple of companies that did extensive work abroad. And I thought that's where I would, um, find my home. And it was pretty satisfying work. It was very interesting. Uh, but I'll be, um, Quite honest and frank here, um, I miss public service. Mm. Um, between uh, the four years I spent at the academy, eight years in, in the Air Force, I really felt um, this sort of gravitational pull uh, to public service. And um, I, had, I decided to take the foreign service exam. Uh, you take an exam to enter the foreign service. Everyone does. Uh, and uh, I passed. And um, I did confound almost all of my fellow entering candidates for the foreign service because most of them had studied foreign languages, international affairs, political science, economics, and there was this interloper with a uh,
0: bachelor's degree in math and physics. (laughs) Um, I I was going to ask this later, but it just kind of stands out to me now is having such a different background, both the the hard science background, as well as the military experience, in what ways did that benefit you in this career path? Um, I actually uh, thought that I was um,
1: advantaged by that career path because I had such a wide diversity of experiences. I would spent time in the military. I had uh, worked in some fairly large um uh science and uh r&d projects including the development of the uh of the gps system um and then of course uh, my my time in the private sector so by the time i got to the state department i was almost seen as uh, the gray hair in the room although my hair wasn't as gray as it is today and uh, because i had done all of these things i had traveled extensively overseas it, it was um, something with which I was really familiar, I had lived uh, in a couple of countries by then, and so by the by the time I started my work in the Foreign service, I was pretty comfortable with most of that it 's just of course acquainting myself with the ins and outs of um, the sometimes byzantine or archa- uh, arcane um, uh, administrative structure of the state Department
0: and the way they operate mm. and i'm i 'm guessing going from finance to the foreign service, I'm guessing there was a, a pretty substantial pay cut to make that transition. Is, is that true? And if so, was that difficult for for you or your family to, to make that sort of jump? Oh, yes. Uh, to put it <laughs> bluntly, um, my wife must have
1: asked me a dozen times, are you sure you really want to do this? Because I was working for a bank that had, had operations all over the world. It was considered a major international bank. And um, of course, the um, salary is quite attractive and doing well. They seemed to like me. And all of a sudden, I up and went off to go back to the government. And I did indeed take a pay cut. Um, uh, It was a little difficult for about the first year. Um, But we adjusted, got used to it. accommodated ourselves to life in the foreign service, working inside embassies and the kind of work that American diplomats do.
0: And I really never looked back. Mm. I One of the things I really admire about your story is the, I mean, it seems from an external standpoint, like you had this clarity that this was a career path in alignment with what fulfilled you and despite the doubt of your your peers and classmates and even some pushback from family, you made that courageous leap. And I'm just curious your advice for anyone listening who may be considering a leap of their own. That could be from the military to something else. They could have already transitioned to be thinking of making a pretty dramatic career change that feels right to them. Do you have any advice about, I can only imagine how much, doubt must have spiked occasionally. And there must have been this question of like, is this the right thing? What advice do you have for people considering making a similar transition in their own life?
1: Um, no, I, I think you've, you've, you've really uh, hit the target here. Uh, let me first say that that kind of clarity did not occur to me <laughs> for a while. Uh, you know, I went through these different types of um, career experiences and, and every single one Most of the time, people would have said, wow, you're doing really terrific here. Then I uprooted and went someplace else. Um, uh, Even after joining the Foreign Service, there was some lingering doubt, but I think after about the first year uh, or so, my first assignment was a junior political officer in our embassy in Managua, Nicaragua, uh, where we were dealing with a very difficult government, a very leftist-leaning anti-American government um, and I found the work enormously interesting and challenging, exciting it was intellectually challenging and and that's when I began to realize this is where I belong mm. um and so if I reflected back on everything else I had done before, as I said, it wasn't really clear it just thankfully my path took me there uh and so the 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 advice that I would Uh, pass on to either those currently serving on active duty and and considering leaving uh, service uh, as well as those veterans um, is uh, to be very patient. Mm -hmm. Keep all your options open. uh, Be curious about what is out there. uh, And don't forget um, what interests you the most. Uh, There is a passion, I think, in every one of us Um, Sometimes it just doesn't emerge for a while until we are in the right kind of circumstances or environment where we realize, as I did, I really belong here. This is what I can do, what I want to do, what I'm uh, excited to do. Um, And that takes some trial and error, as it did for me. It takes a great deal of patience, including a lot of frustration. That uh, year that I spent in the Air Force before uh my uh my term of service was up was quite frustrating i um uh i, I don't hold any grudges today in fact i look quite fondly back at, at at my service in the air force but at the time i was was a little bitter because i was ready to go i thought i would completed my uh my service i hadn't okay still low. I hung in there and did the work. Actually, the work they ended up doing was extremely interesting. It was development of the GPS system, uh, which I'm actually very proud of having done. Um, And it also opened these new horizons for me uh, that eventually got me down the path that I followed. So be patient. uh, Keep all your options open. Be curious. And uh, explore maybe the passions that you have in, in yourself um, that you want to pursue for a lifetime.
0: Hmm. I think that's such great advice. I, I, you know, my experience is that with, with social media and with um, the way that everything is connected, there's a pretty strong gravitational pull that I feel and I know a lot of people feel to pursue defined paths or to to pursue things as like, oh, this is a better path for everyone rather than this is uniquely suited for me. And then on top of that, there is, um, you know, I often feel like a lack of patience, this desire. You see these perceived stories of overnight successes and the, the expectation becomes like, wow, I should be able to make a decision, have certainty, and then it yields incredible results. And so what I appreciate about your advice there is both the introspective approach of knowing what was right for you, and then also the candor of the patience that that required, that it wasn't decision success. There was some, some route finding, there was some having to, to kind of uh, to, to find your way. And I think that's refreshing for me. I think it, it depressures when I hear that sort of advice. No, that's absolutely correct. Um,
1: I, I would really underscore the importance of not comparing yourself mm. to anyone else. Um, you know, the the path you take is going to be yours, and you move forward at the pace that's right for you. Um, now, that's very hard for all of us, and and I fell victim to that um, uh, at various times uh, in my career. Even after having joined the foreign service, I came in at a relatively late age, uh, into the foreign service. I was 35 years old. Uh, you know, most people are at least at the mid career level, uh, at that point, at least very often. Um, and there were times when, uh, I would sort of glance to the left and the right and see, you know, well, there were folks around the same age. They were already moving up the ladder and here I was just on the first, first or second rung. Um, and, um, After a while, though, you begin to realize, at least I did, uh, that wasn't important. Uh, And Of course, there are other factors that uh, impinge on how one feels uh, about uh, the course he or she has chosen. Um, uh, Family is is extremely important to all of us. How our partners are moving forward on the path, path they have chosen. Uh, it's extremely important. I'm raising our children, doing all those things that that, uh, that we all do. And so that's when you really want to sort of keep the blinders on and focus on what's important. Yourself, uh, certainly your spouse and your family. Um, and um, when you decide to, to launch, do it with vigor. Uh, uh, and um, sooner or later, it'll all pay off. It certainly did for me. Uh, I was, in the end, extremely pleased uh, with the way things turned out. Even my wife, who wondered whether <laughs> I was really doing the right thing, um, uh, in the end said that it, it was, um, in in some respects. And I and I don't want to make it out like a fairy tale because it wasn't. Foreign service life is an extremely challenging life in some respects, not unlike uh, the military. Uh, but um, she said it 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 was. A wonderful lifestyle, and she doesn't regret it. Um, but it did have some downsides, too, and you just deal with those, but those are part of
0: any path. Hmm. I, I appreciate that, too. Not that the final success is necessary in these stories, but I appreciate that you started relatively late on a career path, and I can imagine for myself in a in, in a comparative setting it would be extremely discouraging. But I love the thought of staying the course and doing work and trusting that that's the right path for you. And in your case, it did lead to really in your field the 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 epitome of success. That's the 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 four star general is <laughs> the, the 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 rank that you achieved in this field. And I think it's refreshing to think that that came not from you know, since age five, I knew I wanted to do this. It's just, it, it, to me, it's, um, I hope listeners hear that and they, they get a sense of relaxation of, of realizing they don't have to have everything figured out from the get go.
1: No, there, in fact, you mentioned age five, there were some of my colleagues who, from the time they became aware of what a diplomat was and what a diplomat did, wanted to be one. Mm -hmm. Um, and here was again, this interloper showing up, um, And I sort of happened on it over a course of uh, two or three years just before I entered the Foreign Service. Uh, And um, it it didn't seem to have any impact on my career. Uh, I was very pleased with uh, what I was able to to achieve. And um, and the work that I did, it was extremely challenging and satisfying. And at the same time, met some of the other so-called needs in terms of family, and
0: spouse, and so forth. Mm. And I, I want to get a little bit more into your time uh, when you were deputy, deputy chief of mission and then when you were U.S. ambassador. But first, could you maybe lay out for listeners the span of time from entering the foreign service to when you became deputy chief of mission? And, and kind of just paint the picture of what life looked like during those years so they get a sense of what that initial career path looked like for you.
1: Uh, the rank structure of the Foreign Service is not unlike uh, uh, the officer ranks in the military. Uh, we're almost equivalent uh, as you move up. Um, you come in. I-, I was fortunate. they, Because of my previous experience and graduate degree, I came in as a captain, but I still had to take the exam. Like everyone else, um, but some enter at the second lieutenant level. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, and and the, and the career path for for most officers is pretty standard. Um, uh, uh, the first um, assignment and often the second are done uh, overseas, serving at our embassies and two uh, different geographic regions. I started out in Latin America, as I said, in uh, Nicaragua and my second assignment was in Portugal. Uh, and then I came back to Washington and I served for um, approximately uh, three years, assignment in Washington, one of which was on, the, on what we call the seventh floor. It's, uh, it's where all the, uh, the most senior uh, officials of the State Department, I was on the staff of a couple of senior officials, including the secretary toward the end. And that's when I started out on my path. I'll also point out that at the time that I served there in Washington, I worked on what was then called the Office of Soviet Union Affairs during the collapse of the Soviet Union. So it was just an extraordinarily exciting, incredibly busy time to be doing diplomacy. I was traveling a lot to the Soviet Union, uh, uh, working with my colleagues in the embassy on uh, various issues. But um, I then spent two years studying uh, Arabic and was posted to Jordan where I was economic counselor for three years. Uh, I served then in Oman as the deputy chief of mission, which is the number two to the ambassador. Um, Went back to Washington again and um, served as a director of an office of about 30 uh, folks uh, and then was tapped to go to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Um, Initially, I went as a charge d'affaires, who is the senior person in the embassy when there is no ambassador. I spent about four or five months in that position before becoming the um, the deputy chief of mission in Saudi Arabia once uh, the new ambassador arrived. And of course, it was after that then I was uh, named by president to uh, uh, be the U.S. ambassador in Oman three years in that position, and then um, I was asked by the secretary to go to Saudi uh, to Iraq. Uh, they needed um, some folks who had strong experience in the Middle East and um, Arabic language skills, and so I was the head of uh, our political section, which was as big as many of our embassies are. Mm-hmm. It was an enormous section. Uh, and my final assignment in the State Department I was secunded to the United Nations and I worked out of Jerusalem in an organization called the Quartet, working on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So uh, I had a pretty diverse career, although much of it obviously spent in the Middle East. I always felt that if you wanted to do that, roll up your sleeve, Hands-on work of diplomacy. There was no more challenging place in the world than the Middle East, and that certainly proved correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, um, it was indeed very, very challenging. So, um, as I said, the ranks are very similar to um, to the uh, to the military, and it's usually between the, uh, the eighteen and twenty-two year point where you're considered for promotion into, you know what we would call the flag ranks in the, uh, in the, uh, in the military. Um, And we have a system, again, very similar to the military. It's up or out. Uh, If you don't make it into the senior ranks, um, then you have a limited time left and then, and then you, you leave, you retire from the foreign service. Mm. And uh, I don't know what the stats are, but it's like a 20% or so make it into the senior ranks. Mm.
0: What is when you are, when you are, Ambassador, what does your day-to-day life look like? I I imagine you going to a lot of social events. I imagine you doing a lot of research on the area, but could you paint the picture of what maybe a typical day looked like or a representative day might look like?
1: Well, first of all, you're managing a lot of people. Mm. And so there's the the management of those people. You have a deputy, of course, and you have uh, others in the embassy who have specific responsibilities. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's the ambassador who is the decision-maker on many of the issues. Um, and so there's, there's that responsibility. Um, you know, most people, when, when they think of diplomacy, and particularly an ambassador, they think about the social functions. Um, and that's certainly an important component, uh, that you represent the United States uh, socially, not only at a, to events where you're invited, but hosting events. And so, my wife and I hosted many, many events mm-hmm. at our home, everything from small dinners with senior officials, um, to very large gatherings um, to celebrate particular events, uh, particularly our Independence Day, uh, but other events as well, and also to ensure that uh, all the various sectors of the society receive the attention of the United States through the u s ambassador so I would try to cultivate uh, relations with the business community, education community, uh, women, um, students, um, even the religious community, which is very important in that part of the world. Uh, and I would also try to spend as much time as I could outside the embassy and even out of the capital city. I, uh, traveled almost, I've traveled to almost every uh, significant town in Oman, um, I even embarked, it was probably about seven or eight months into my first year. I, uh, I wanted to visit the, uh, the sheikhs of the major tribes of the desert in the interior of Oman. And uh, there were no roads out there and there are no hotels, no restaurants. So we sort of had to stock up the way we used to do when I was leading a, a survey expeditions in some remote country with supplies, camping gear, tents. People don't typically think of ambassadors as camping out to do their work. Um, and I must have called on 20, 25 different sheikhs. Um, I'd do uh, three or four a day. By the way, they would host you at great feasts. And you'd have to talk to members of the tribe, as wells as the sheikh. I mean, um, it, it was actually great fun. And I took some of my staff members uh, with me who, uh, would often recall it as, as one of the most exciting Mm -hmm. climates they ever had. Um, but again, it was, um, the idea of getting uh, a face of the United States out into the public so that they understood that we are a country that is genuinely interested in, in what people think and how they think, but also to convey, um, the message of the United States, uh, to them about what our interests are, what we care about and why their particular country, uh, is important to us. And then the relationship is important. Um, so your days are very busy. I, um, typically, you know, you get in the office whenever you do eight or nine o'clock. And uh, there were times where, you know, I wouldn't get home until midnight. Mm. Um, and very often my wife, um, put in quotes, was required. Uh, She doesn't like that term. She was really a great trooper and accompanied on all these events. And of course, uh, she was a great host uh, because I could not have pulled it off without her help. Um, But spouses are expected to be a part uh, of the work that you do. Most spouses uh, do it because they enjoy doing it. And of course, they want to support their own spouse. But then you have many who have their own careers and can't do it. Um, but the days are long, they're challenging, uh, lots of balls in the air. And of course, particularly in the Middle East, uh, you're, you're always facing the likelihood of dealing with a crisis um, later in the day or tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And we certainly had our share of those.
0: Mm, that's wonderful. I, I wanted to ask about the the skills and characteristics that you learned in the military that helped you in that capacity, but maybe even more importantly, the ones that you had to fill in. And I just appreciate your story there because I'm hearing this sense of curiosity and it seems like a tremendous amount of empathy to understand the lay of the land and where is needing your attention. But could you maybe highlight what, what benefited from the military, but also what you had to fill in along the way? Oh,
1: there were many, many things that I felt gave me an advantage in my career. Having served in uh, the military, um, take for example, in the military we become accustomed to working in teams. It's all about working together, and 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 achieving the mission. Um, and so I felt very comfortable, and and that's something that um, doesn't come normally. To uh, uh, folks in in the form uh, in the foreign service initially, because we do have more or less the same concept, but it has to be developed um, uh, organically. But I sort of came into it already well accustomed to it and and fit very comfortably into it, whether I was a team member or the team leader, uh, and and that was a tremendous advantage. Number two, I think in the military. Uh, we sort of take for granted that we're working in, very diverse, in a very diverse and a very diverse organization. You have Americans from all over the country, from all sorts of backgrounds, ethnic groups, religions, races, and so forth. And you learn to work together, um, and that was extremely uh, helpful and valuable to me because the Foreign Service is very similar. Moreover, of course, when you're serving overseas, um, you're you're sort of forced into an environment that's not yours. It's a foreign country. They speak a different language. They uh, had much different customs. They dress differently. They believe differently and sometimes even their value systems are a bit different from ours. But probably one of the most important skills that I think I was able to bring from my military service into the Foreign Service was uh, leadership. Um, uh, many foreign service officers when they enter the foreign service have had no previous leadership experience. It's actually a rarity. Um, I, um, I, having served in the military, having uh, having gone to a service academy, um, I, I understood leadership. I can't say completely un- understood it, but I was familiar with it. I knew what was necessary. I knew what to look for. I knew, um, particularly at the State Department, that I wanted to keep my eye on leaders there whom I admired and might want to emulate at some point in my career. And by the time I did reach a leadership uh, position, I felt very comfortable. And I know a number of cases of my colleagues who failed, um, the first couple of t- uh, tries out of the shoot as leaders because they didn't know how to function as leaders, but you get it in the military. At, at all the ranks, uh, both as um, an officer or as an enlisted person in uh, in our military. And again, we, it's one of those things you kind of take for granted, but in fact is extremely valuable. Uh, and I'll have to say, uh, Justin, that it was also very valuable um, in that intervening time between business school and entering the foreign service when I was in the private sector. Mm. Uh, I was very accustomed, you know if I had to take charge of something, I did um, it was, you know, i wasn 't afraid of it i wasn 't intimidated i wasn 't intimidated by it um, so these are things I think that are useful to keep in mind to veterans and to those considering leaving uh, the uh, the services that there are these intangibles that you pick up uh, that are worth their weights in gold if you could weigh them. Uh, they're just enormously valuable and will come into play uh, very usefully later on, regardless of
0: what you might do. Mm. It's one of the things I appreciate about your story is, is you, you build up this career capital in the military, you build up this career capital in business school and finance, and then you take a wildly different turn. But in the end, I'm, I'm, betting towards the end of your career in the, in the foreign service, you're able to, to to utilize so many of these skills from the military and from the business world that you were able to apply in that. And it was, it's, it's inspiring to see the amount of time you must have spent learning new skills along the way and being out of your comfort zone. And then at the end, being able to bring together all of these different tools. And that's one of the things I wanted to point out for listeners is um, to your point about patience it really seems like when you look at this long view you had decades to pull together different skills and then at the capstone moment of that portion of your career you're able to to deploy all of these that you had built up over a lifetime. And so sometimes I feel in a rush. I know other people in their audience feel like in a rush to get to a destination, but I think your story illustrates the the long view and how that patience plays a big role in this.
1: No, that's just, I mean, I I think you, you explained it um, very, very clearly, Justin. Um, It's a progression. You accumulate knowledge, experience, and at some point, you may not even be aware of it. Wisdom uh, that it that represents the accumulation of of those experiences and all that you've learned um, in in your in your life to 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 a certain point. Um, and and I can't you know point to any single moment and say aha now it's all out there and and. Um, uh, and I'm, and I'm ready for the Super Bowl today. <laughs> uh, it, it, it All of a sudden, you know, you find yourself doing things, and it's a reflection of that experience, that knowledge, um, all the things that have come into play throughout your life that sometimes may have felt uh, a bit frustrating in doing or acquiring. But um, um, sometimes there's a reason for it, and it's important to keep yourself conscious, that as you go through a particular career, whatever it might be, um, that you you want to be, be uh, you want to learn, and it's not just doing things, it's observing others, uh, observing um, the people who are um, above you, and how they lead, how they manage, how they behave, uh, observing your colleagues, or your peers. And, and if you're in the position, you're subordinates, uh, because all of them can teach you something. And uh, I know, uh, particularly in the Foreign Service, when you're immersed in these foreign cultures, um, then you're really in an almost alien environment. Mm. Uh, and it forces you to go into observation mode, because um, the rules for behaving in that environment are so different. Uh, and that's a good thing. Don't act until you have some understanding of what the rules are, uh, what the standards are, what's expected, and so forth. Uh, but more broadly speaking, that helps, I think, in your develop your development as a human being, person, but also as a professional, whatever the career field might be.
0: Mm. And and from an, again, from an outsider's perspective, it almost feels like you've had three or maybe even four careers, the military and then business and finance and then the foreign service. And now you're on to other things. And I'd love for you to share with listeners uh, a little bit about the work that you do now.
1: Uh, Yes. Now, so I'm uh, on, I'm on the faculty at the university of Denver. Uh, It's Corbell school for international studies. And, and I teach uh, usually teach about two classes a year. So it's not a particularly heavy load. Thankfully, but I also try to be available to to students who have have an interest in pursuing uh, a career in foreign affairs. Uh, I do a lot of public speaking and I also write a lot. Um, One of the uh, almost obligations that I feel that I have is to uh, educate people uh, about the events of the day and their meaning, uh, particularly as it pertains to international affairs and US foreign policy In the Middle East, which I know best, Um, and occasionally I'll talk about other issues uh, as as well and and write about them. Um, uh, Just to take two examples, very, very recently in the last week, um, um, uh, the rising tensions between the United States and uh, Iran, and so we had a very large public event at the university. I had myself, a faculty colleague, and talk about the the implications of, of these rising tensions and so forth, and so it's extremely uh, enjoyable, and I, I'm I'm happy to share what I know with uh, those in the audience. And then the the recent passing of the the Sultan of Oman, Sultan Qaboos, and I've done some media interviews and I've written some some articles about my experiences uh, serving there twice and what I knew about him, his leadership. Uh, now I could have gone back into public, uh, uh, um, into the private sector when I left the State Department, but I really felt that um, I wanted to share the great uh, opportunities and experiences that I had, and uh, academia seemed to be um, the best place for that. And um, I'm enjoying it. I love interacting with mm-hmm. students, talking to them and getting challenged by them, mm-hmm. because they're curious and they wanna know, ask lots of questions. Sometimes I don't have all the answers, but that's it's a learning process for me as well. Um, and it's very satisfying.
0: That's wonderful. I love this. I love this consistent thread of, of service. And I love how it's taken different forms, military, um, for, foreign service, and now serving in a different way through your writing, through the, the work that you do with students and passing this knowledge along. I think that's, um, that that's, that's great. And it's, knowing that about you and not, not, not that that's not a component of finance, but I could see how that typical career path might not fulfill that itch to, to serve, to give back. And, and it's, um, makes me feel very, uh, excited that you followed that hunch and you stuck with that.
1: No, um, the, uh, the service element was very important to me. Um, I think I mentioned, uh, earlier in our discussion that I I left uh, the private sector uh, because I I missed public service. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I tried the military um, and as, as uh, uh, challenging and helpful as it was to me, um, it just wasn't the place where I thought I could, you know, spend a career. um, But I, I missed public service and uh, the foreign service was the, the um, the perfect answer for this um, yearning I almost had. Um, it had some structure, but not quite as uh, structured as uh, uh, military service, uh, but it still had the very, very important component for me of uh, serving the country.
0: Mm, that's great. Um, I wanted to ask about resources I always like to ask this for people who may be on a ship or deployed and um, have an interest of delving more into this career path but can only access books or podcasts or movies or conferences things like that. Is there anything that you would recommend to listeners that um, might inform them more about this sort of career path or maybe helped you in your own.
1: Um, There are certainly many, many more resources available today than there was Mm. when I was searching around. Uh, In my case, I would write letters or go to the library Mm. to to, uh, research this sort of thing. Uh, But today, thankfully, there's so much available to folks online. I would say the first stop, particularly if you're interested in the Foreign Service. And by the way, there are many um, career paths in the Foreign Service there's the diplomatic career path, but we have many, many other specialists that, that we use, whether it's in um, uh, technology and communications, uh, whether it's in uh, finance and budgeting, um, uh, personnel management, and so forth. And so I suppose the first thing and I would recommend if the State Department and Foreign Service is something that might interest them, go to the um, state.gov website, and uh, there's um, there's a drop-down menu about career information, and in all its various forms in the State Department. Uh, not all employees of the State Department are in the Foreign Service. In fact, only a tiny minority are Foreign Service. We only have a service of about 12,000 people. As hard as that is to believe, uh, most of the people are civil service, uh, who follow the no- normal civil service track. Um, uh, while they can serve overseas, typically, uh, they don't, they serve in Washington or some of our other domestic, uh, offices. Um, so take a look there, see what's available, what might interest them. And then there are lots of other materials that are available. Uh, there's a book out about life in an embassy. What's it like, whether you're an ambassador or a junior officer on, um, uh, on the first tour. Um, there's um, all, there, There's so many um, uh, groups in social media now of actively serving uh, foreign service folks, and you can tap into those, and then you can hear firsthand the experiences, including some of the more challenging ones. Um, the family separations, which folks in the military, of course, know too. Um, the challenge of, um, um, of, of uh, spouses, who also have professional in interest, but they're hard to meet when, when the employed spouse is serving overseas. Uh, raising children in a foreign environment, so you can get firsthand information. Um, and even the State Department itself puts out all sorts of in information. That the fit. There's, a, there's an office called the Family Liaison Office, there's a Career Information Office, a lot of them that make um, information available. And then there are some public uh, sources out there. Now you can um, download or buy a book if you want on what it takes uh, to prepare for the foreign service exam. It's a fairly lengthy exam process. Um, And um, you can't study for it, but it's a different kind of exam than most people experience in their life, uh, in their lives. And so um, it kind of helps you get into the groove of what it, Means to take that exam and what they're looking for when they uh, when they test applicants. Um, so there's a lot of information out there, and um, I would also say keep up with uh, public events, international affairs, and you can read or hear about uh, what American diplomats overseas are doing today. Whether it's dealing with the trade issue in China or the tensions in the Middle East uh, or um, you know, civil wars in different countries, and the day-to-day management of
0: uh, America's foreign relations. That's wonderful. Well, I always like to leave the last question open-ended, and especially for this interview, I mean, we barely scratched the surface of a few of your positions, and and there's so much that you've done in your career. We could spend an hour on each of them. I always like to make room to just. Uh, allow you to share, what, what do we not talk about that you want to make sure listeners know before we wrap up?
1: Well, I, I, the, uh, the career path that I took yeah. in the Foreign Service was enormously satisfying in, in every respect. Uh, the work was uh, challenging but gratifying. Um, uh, I learned so much. I was able to learn three languages um, as a Foreign Service officer. Uh, the colleagues with whom I worked were just exceptional people. Highly, very highly motivated as I was to to serve their country and do the work that they were uh, assigned uh, to do as best they could. Um, and then, you know, just the excitement of serving in a foreign country and exploring uh, the country itself, its people, its culture, its history, uh, its geography, uh, everything. But um, I certainly wouldn't want to leave the impression that um, this is a road paved with golden bricks. Um, it, it's anything but that. Um, I served three years apart from my family, two when I was in Saudi Arabia, and then the year I served in Iraq. Um, and it's difficult. Uh, it's difficult for me, but I I I'd probably say it was more difficult for my family. Uh, my wife then had to take up uh, um, virtually all the chores of child rearing and all that comes with that, whether it's young children or older teenagers. Um, uh, thankfully, with technology today, you can communicate much, much better than, say, my early days in the Foreign Service. Um, and and that's, that's, those assignments are not infrequent, just, just as in the, uh, in the military. Um, and it's required in the Foreign Service that you serve what we call hardship tours, that you go to places where it's really difficult to live and maybe even dangerous. Like Saudi Arabia was, when I was there, we were uh, living under uh, the threat of um, an imminent terrorist attack, um, or in Riyadh, or in, or in uh, Baghdad, where uh, the country was effectively going through um, civil war. Um, and there are other countries, not necessarily at war, but they're very poor countries. So you live a pretty modest lifestyle, even though you're an American diplomat. Um, you're not living high on the hog, so to speak. Modest home. So forth. Uh, But the work that they do is always important, regardless of the country. Um, And I think all of us try to keep that in mind that, yeah, you're in some pretty tough surroundings, uh, doing a really difficult task, uh, which makes it really challenging to do some of the basic things that you might be able to get done in a more developed country or country at peace. But it's all important to our country, uh, most definitely. And it's certainly uh, important to the countries where we. where we worked. Um, so I, I think it's, it's very useful to keep a balanced, um, uh, image of what this type of uh, career
0: entails. It's, um, it, it's mostly good, but not always and not all. Well, Ambassador, thank you for the uh, nuance that you brought to the discussion and the authenticity of the, the pros and cons throughout your your journey. And I just really appreciate your sharing your story with the Beyond the Uniform audience.
1: Not at all, Justin. It was a pleasure. And I wish all your listeners the best of luck. And hope maybe I'll see some uh, at the university or uh, as our future diplomats.
0: Beyond the Uniform is written and produced by me, Justin Asiri, with the help from our chief of staff, Steve Bain, our editor, Lex Brown, and our head of social media, Janelle Hanf. We are an all-volunteer organization and would greatly appreciate your help in any of the following ways. First of all, spread the word. Beyond the Uniform has over 380 podcast episodes and 15 on-demand webinars, all offered for free. Help us spread the word on social media, at military bases, or whatever gets this resource in front of the men and women who need it. Positive reviews on iTunes go a long way towards this as well. Second of all, sponsorship. Beyond the Uniform relies on sponsorship to keep us going. There is so much more we'd like to do, but just don't have nearly the resources to do it. If you know of a company that would advertise in any way with Beyond the Uniform, please send them our way third of all, donations. If you're in a financial position to donate, you can find more information on the support section of our website. At our website, beyonduniform.org, you'll find over 380 episodes categorized by industry, functional role, and more. You'll also find both free and for purchase resources that take a deeper dive on topics related to career growth. Thank you for your support as we aim to help members of the military and their families thrive in their post-military career and life.